Um, but for others of you, you kind of, you may have went to church at one time in your life and you deuced out and bounced back from God and the church because of something that happened. And uh, you decided to come back. You decided today to come back. And the question that maybe some of you are wrestling with today is what is the big deal about Easter? I mean, really, what's the big deal? Okay, I'll, let's say I give it that, yeah, Jesus did rise from the dead, if in fact that actually happened. Okay, he did, but how is that relevant to my life on April the 8th, 2012? I mean, something that he did back 2,000 years ago, how is that relevant for my life? For some of you, you're sitting there with arms crossed and you're wondering, man, I sure hope this dude is really quick. And uh, you can hope that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I got you for a little bit, and I want to talk with you about this idea of the aftermath of Easter, because so many of us it's just something that may have happened, may not have happened, and if it did, big deal. Really, big deal. Because at the end of the day, we still have mortgages to pay. At the end of the day, you're still fighting with your spouse. At the end of tonight, you're still going to have a teenager that you want to murder. At the end of the day, how is all of this stuff really practical in my life and in your life? And if you're sitting there with arms crossed, and like, just hurry up and get through this so that we can go out to eat, I want to say that that's okay. I want to say that I have been there as well. I have been there with arms crossed, and you are in good company because I have been there, you are there right now, and even more importantly, there was a guy at the end of the first century, his name was Saul, who was exactly where you're at right now. Because he didn't believe it either. And even if it did happen, it really wasn't that big of a deal for him. Now let me tell you about this guy named Saul. Saul, he had a unique calling in his life. And his calling was to kill Christians. He didn't know what all of this and hubaloo was about, about the whole resurrection and Easter and all of this stuff. He really didn't care. Because this whole Christian Jesus thing was kind of given a bad name to Judaism and his religion and his way that he was going. So he decided, I'm going to kill him. So one day, him and his friends get on a bunch of horses and they ride to this ancient city in the Near East called Damascus. And as they're riding towards Damascus to wipe out these followers of the way called Christians, something life-changing happened in his life. Something that changed the very course, the very direction, the very fabric of his existence. Because it was on that road, as he's riding on his horse, he gets knocked down off of his horse and he sees this big, bright light and he hears this voice. And it's a voice he's heard before. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? Saul answers, who is this speaking to me? And the voice said, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. The aftermath of that one event in his life changed his very course. Because it was at that moment 
that he finally got it and the resurrected Jesus became real to him. But here's the thing. He never stopped thinking like a non-Christian. He never stopped thinking, stopped thinking like somebody with their arms crossed, like some of you are today. Because in one of the letters he wrote in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is the only place we're going to be at this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he is asking basically a question, and it's the question, what if Easter had never happened? What would that look like? What is the aftermath of not having an Easter? What's the big deal if he hadn't been raised? I mean, some of you, the highlight of your Easter is getting the Cadbury eggs with that white gooey stuff, right? Anybody else like that besides me? Thank you, all right? I mean, I like that stuff, all right? In fact, some of you like statistics, true statistics, that when you get a chocolate bunny, 91% of all the populace eat the ears first. That's the reason why when you go home and you chow down on your chocolate bunny, you need to start with his feet today, okay? You see, if that is the highlight of your Easter, nothing wrong with chocolate bunnies, and there's definitely, well, there might be something wrong with Cadbury eggs. I don't know. All right, but here's the thing. Nothing wrong with any of that, but if that is the highlight, if there is nothing else to your Easter, I'm telling you, Saul is tracking that question with you today. What if Easter never happened? What's the big deal if Jesus just was died and he stayed in the grave? And that's what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 13. And this is what it says. Paul, who used to be Saul, says this. For if there is no resurrection of the dead... Now listen to Paul's logic. It's going to be up on the screens here in a sec. It's like dominoes falling, okay? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has has not been raised either. And that's what some of you, you've been saying all along, right? And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. And that's exactly what you think about preachers, isn't it? I mean, why would I want to come to church to listen to some guy rant? It's useless anyway. And your faith is useless, And faith isn't in your vocabulary, is it? In fact, you don't operate your business, or you don't operate when you go to school, and whether or not you cheat or don't cheat on a test, you don't operate any of that by faith. You operate it by what you can see and what you can touch and what you can feel. Your faith is useless. And we apostles would be all lying about God, for we have said that Christ that God raised Christ from the grave. And that's what some of you think. You think preachers are just about a hair above a politician when it comes to truth-telling, right? I mean, some of you, you've heard preachers go on with preacher stories, and it was this big as they're talking about the fish, and you know, as they caught it, and he's bigger. That's what you think about preachers. You can't trust them. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. You're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If Jesus wasn't raised, if Easter did not happen, then let me just be real honest with you. All of this 
is worthless. You are wasting your time. You would have been better getting drunk the night before and staying drunk this morning if Easter had never, ever happened. Guilty. It says we are guilty in our sins. And you know, if those, you know, you're like, I don't know about all this Jesus church stuff, that's okay. I believe you're an honest person. And let's just have an honest one-on-one conversation right now. Because I think if we were honest, and if you were honest with yourselves, if I asked you, what's going on inside your mind? Well, tell me about your thoughts. And if you were honest with yourself, you would say, well, sometimes my thoughts can be downright awful. And if I were to ask you, you know, what, what are some of the things that you say? And if you were to say those words here and now, we would all blush. Because if we were all really honest with ourselves, if all of our stuff just flashed in front of the screen, all of the things we did in the darkness and in secret, we would all be really embarrassed. I know I would if my stuff was up on that screen. So would you. Because all of us. If there is no resurrection, here's the word, we're unforgiven. That's a nasty word. If there is no Easter, there is no hope. The aftermath of no Easter is we are still dead in our sins. So here's what I want us to do. For the rest of the time I have for you guys this morning, I want to tell four stories in the Bible. And I want to tell these stories from the perspective that Easter never happened. And the stories, I'm telling, if you've grown up in church, you'll, you'll know them very, very well. Even if you haven't, you will have known and heard of some of these stories. But before I tell the end of the story, because there is no Easter, there is no hope, and God is still dead in the grave, they're going to be told just a little bit differently. Let's start with the first one. The first one is about a little boy by the name of Joseph. Joseph had a lot of brothers. In fact, he had 12 brothers. In fact, if there was television in his day, there'd be a reality show about this family. There were so many of them. So there was Joseph, and little Joe, he was the favorite of his family. His dad loved him more than anyone else. So much so that his dad one day decided to spend a lot of money to get him a sport jacket. And this sport jacket, it was loud, it was colorful, and it was so loud. Basically, what it was screaming was to all of the other brothers, you aren't loved like I love my son Joseph. And this story that I'm getting ready to weave for you is a story of hatred and revenge and jealousy. Because the 11 brothers hated, hated, hated Joseph. His very existence reminded them that they weren't quite good enough. One day they go on a camping trip. All the brothers and the 11 brothers, they have this great idea. It comes to them, you know what? It's time to get rid of Joseph. So what they do is they strip the coat off of him, this multicolored sport coat that their dad gave him. 
and they poured blood and they ripped it, and they're weaving a lie that they're going to tell their father that a wild animal killed your favorite son. So they throw Joseph in a pit where they're going to leave him to die, and they sit around the campfire and eat s'mores. On the horizon, they see this caravan, this billow of smoke coming, and these camels coming, and they got an idea. Hey, why not, instead of just letting him die, let's sell him. Yeah, let's sell Joseph, and he can be a slave to these people. They're going to Egypt. We can sell him to him. We can make some money off of this dude we hate. Great idea. Let's do that. So they do that. They sell him as a slave, and they go home, and they tell the lie to their father, your favorite son you know that little snotty-nosed punk? He's dead. And it breaks his father's heart. All the while, the father thinks Joseph is killed. But Joseph is very much alive. And he's living as a slave in Egypt. He gets to Egypt. He gets sold to an official working under Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He gets sold uh, but to this official, a bodyguard of Pharaoh. And there, he becomes noticed. He gets noticed by the bodyguard because he's an amazing young worker. He gets noticed by Potiphar, the person who bought him, but he also gets noticed by someone else, Potiphar's wife. Because Potiphar's wife, she is wanting to have sex with Joseph. This cougar is coming after Joseph, and Joseph keeps on saying no, 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 but she is coming after him hard. And day after day, she pressures Joseph, sleep with me, have sex with me. And Joseph goes, no, no, no. Until one day, he goes into the house in an unforeseen turn of events. There's no one in the house. It's just her and him. She closes the blinds. She locks the door. She tries ripping off his clothes, sleep with me. And he runs. He leaves. He runs so fast that she rips his shirt off of his body. And as he leaves and runs out the door with her pride wounded, she cries, rape! Rape! He raped me! And her husband Potiphar comes in and says, what what just happened? That slave, that Joseph boy you brought in here tried having his way with me. And Potiphar who owned Joseph, throws Joseph in prison where he stays for years. Convicted of a crime he didn't commit. Joseph is there alone with his thoughts of hatred and revenge seething towards his brothers. It's there he meets some friends in the jail Friends that unfortunately got thrown in jail, but eventually got out, and they were known by Pharaoh. They were known by the king. And as they got out, they said, Joseph, we'll tell Pharaoh about your plight. We'll tell him about how this isn't right, about the injustice. They get out, and they totally forget about Joseph. Until one day, the king has a need. Pharaoh has a need. He is looking for somebody with wisdom and discernment who can see the future. And then they remembered, oh, there's this boy. There's this boy. He's not a boy anymore. He's been in there for years, named Joseph. 
So they bring Joseph out of prison. And sure enough, Joseph tells Pharaoh what's going to happen in Egypt. There's going to be a terrible famine all over the entire world. And Pharaoh takes his ring, puts it on Joseph's finger, he gets him out of prison, and he makes him the vice president over all of Egypt. And now he is the man in charge. All the while, his 11 brothers are living on the outskirts, not knowing, not thinking about Joseph. They're having kids, they're having babies, they're working on families, all of this stuff, until one day the food runs out. And they hear a rumor that there's this guy in Egypt who is smart and he's discerning and he's, he's stockpiled a lot of food. So they go to this guy, all 11 brothers, and they're standing before whom they don't know is their brother that they sold and did wrong. Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And here in the story, when there is no Easter, when there is no hope, when there is no resurrection from the dead, let me tell you what happens. The story's changed just a little bit because Joseph takes his brothers and one by one starts torturing them. He cuts off fingers. He pulls out fingernails. He burns some alive. And those that live through the torturous process of the hatred, the seething agony of anger of Joseph's pain, rot in a prison until their dying day. All the while, Joseph is heard up in the palace just laughing. (laughs) Serves him right. That's what happens when there is no resurrection, when there isn't any hope. There isn't any forgiveness. Next story. I know you don't like the way that ends, but that's the way it ends when there isn't any hope. When there isn't any resurrection. Second story is about a man by the name of Samson. Samson's story is found in Judges chapter 17. And God's angel came to Samson's parents before Samson was ever born and said, you've got a special kid on your hands. He is special. He's different. And you're going to need to treat him differently. He doesn't need to touch strong drink. He doesn't need to be around dead people. And this is really important. Don't cut his hair. That's right. Some of you know the story. So Samson grows up and he realizes something about other people. Other people are a whole lot weaker than he is. Because he is very strong. And he realizes the strength is found in his hair. And God had called Samson for a very specific purpose. I want you to rescue God's people, the Israelites, from the bullies called Philistines, living in Philistia. These people who would pick on God's people. I want you to rescue God's people from the enemies. So he does that. But as he grows up, his hormones get the better of him. And he starts lusting. He's like a rabid dog in heat, and he goes from one woman to another woman to another woman to another bed, and he doesn't even sleep with his own people. He sleeps with the enemy. He sleeps with women from Philistia until eventually he winds up in the bed of a prostitute called Delilah, who is pretty good at what she does in Philistia. And it's in there... As he lays her, his head in her lap, she asks the question, Samson, what makes you so different? Why are you so much stronger than everyone else? And he tells her a story, and 
doesn't really kind of flirts around with the truth as she flirts with him, but eventually he tells her, the secret of my strength is in my hair. They have sex, he goes to sleep, and he wakes up bald because she has cut his hair. And as the goon squad from Philistia comes in to absolutely just mop up Samson, he comes up and he, he's coming up and he's getting ready to strike him. And his, he could barely lift his arms because he really, he's bald. His strength is gone. What happens, the Philistines take a hot poker and gouge out his eyes and say, you won't be lusting after our women anymore. And they throw him in a dungeon where he grinds at a mill day after day after day until one day as an old man, he falls under the weight of it all and he dies. A man who of lost opportunity, of lost hope, and no purpose. Because when you take the Easter away, when you take Jesus being raised from the dead, that's how stories end. You end your life with no purpose, with no hope, with no forgiveness. Third story. You know this story. It's about little David. Little David. He has a large family as well. He has older brothers, and they all get drafted to go to the war to fight, yeah, you guessed it, with the enemy, the Philistines. And little David is home as an 11, 10, 11, 12-year-old boy. He's hanging out around the farm watching the sheep until his dad comes up to David and says, David, listen, I got some food and some stuff, a care package I want you to take to your brothers who are on the front lines fighting the Philistines. Okay, Dad, I'll do it. So he takes it, and he's obedient. He loves God. He trusts God. And as he travels... Right to the front lines of Philistia, he meets this large, ugly, nasty enemy of a giant named Goliath who was nine feet tall from Philistia. And he was making fun of God. He was calling the Israelite God names. He was calling the Israelite army names. And he goes over to his brothers and said, what is this fool doing? What is he saying? How come you're not doing anything about it? And David's brother says, why don't you shut up? You go back home and tend the sheep. That won't sit with little David because David believes in God. David has faith in God. And he knows that with God in him, he can conquer a giant because he believes in a God of miracles. So he goes to a little book, brook, and he gets these five smooth stones out of this creek and he puts it in his slingshot and he comes up to Goliath and he says, I am feeding your dead carcass to the birds. Goliath laughs and says, come on, boy. So David puts that stone in his sling and swings it around and lets it go. But the stone misses its mark. Because God is not a God of miracles. God is a God of no hope who can't be trusted when you take Easter out of the story. And Goliath picks up little David and he takes his spear and he thrusts it in David's body and he throws his body on the ground. All the while, you hear Goliath with this menacing laugh. <laughs> That's what happens when there is no Easter. And the last story, the last story is a story that Jesus told about a young boy who kind of liked sowing his wild oats. He was a prodigal. And this young boy told, went up to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead, and I want your money. 
I want your inheritance. And the dad gives it to him. So he leaves Tennessee, and he drives across the country with all of this wad of cash. He goes to Reno, picks up some friends. He goes to Vegas. He plays the slots. He gets hookers. He gets it all. He is living the life. Until the money runs out. And when the bucks run out, the buddies leave. And now he's just alone. He's penniless. doesn't know where to go. So he starts hitchhiking. He starts uh, jumping from train to train until he comes to a little town in Iowa called Waterloo. And there he meets a pig farmer. And he comes up to the pig farmer and says, Do you mind? Could you have a job for me? Yeah, you can slop the hogs, boy. And the pig farmer throws the bucket of slop towards this young prodigal and it spills all over him. Go slop the hogs. And he does. And day after day, he pours the slop all over the hogs, right to the hogs. The hogs just eat. And then from there, he works all day in this nasty, pig, manure-infested farm. And every night, he gets into his bunk, dingy, and he just goes to sleep. Until one day, he can't sleep anymore. And he's sitting there, and he's looking up in the darkness in the middle of the night, and he realizes that everything that he wants, everything that he longs for, is back home. He's back home in that front porch there in Tennessee. He decides, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back. So he does. He hitchhikes, he catches trains until he gets all the way back to Tennessee. And he gets up to the front porch of the home that he grew up in. And he puts his hand on the doorknob and it's it's locked. What? He reaches in his pocket and he has his old set of keys and he tries to put his key in the lock and the locks have been changed. And he looks through the windows and he tries to see his mom or dad in there. And he starts beating on the door. Mom! Dad! It's me! Open up! He's looking. He steps back and he looks up at his, his, his window up at the top and it looks like his curtains aren't there anymore. It looks like they've made it into a, kind of almost like a workout room. He goes back up, and he beats on the doors, and he looks, is anybody in there? And he sees silhouettes moving. And a, a dad comes to the door and flings open the door and says, what in the hell do you want, son? Because you're no son of mine. Get off of my porch. But dad, I, I've sinned against you, and yeah, you have. But don't ever call me dad again. Son steps back off the porch. He doesn't know where to go. What to do. So he walks down by the pond where him and his brother used to go fish. And he opens up his duffel bag and he pulls out a revolver. He blows his brains out. Because that's what happens when you take Easter out of the story. There is no hope. There isn't any reconciliation. There's no restoration. And there's definitely no forgiveness. You see, the aftermath of taking Easter away from all of this stuff is that we have no hope. But let me tell you, 
that's not where the story ends because the way I told it isn't right. Let me tell you the reason why it's not right. Look at this, what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. What is that next word? Everybody say it. One more time. What does it say? One more time. But the truth is that Christ has been raised. But the truth is that Christ has been raised. But the truth is, Christ has been raised. That is the truth. And the, uh, if you can let that truth sink down and you to understand that truth, you will understand that it changes your story. Just like it changed Joseph's story. Just like it changed Samson's story. Just like it changed David's story. And just like it changed the prodigal story. Because since he is risen, I am forgiven. Since he is risen, you and I are forgiven. The aftermath of Easter is that it changes stories. It changed Joseph's story. Let me tell it the right way. Joseph is there. His brothers are there. The brothers don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph knows who they are. And Joseph comes up, and he takes off his kingly crown, and, off, and he, he wipes everything, and I am your son, I am your brother, I am your kin that you betrayed. And they start backing up because they're afraid of their life. But Joseph doesn't torture them. Joseph embraces them. He kisses them and he says, I love you. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because the reality of Easter is that it changed Joseph's story. Has it changed yours? Let's go to Samson. Samson, yes, he got his hair cut off. His eyes were gouged out. But amazingly, after three days, after he got his hair cut, something amazing took place. His hair started growing. Some of you would pay good money if your hair could start growing again, right? And his hair grew and grew. And after a while, he's running his fingers through his hair. And after a while, he's feeling his strength return. And it says at the end of his life, he fulfilled the purpose that God had called him to by getting rid of all of these bullies. He got rid of more bullies at the end of his life than he did at the beginning. Why? Because when you put the aftermath of the Easter story, the fact that Jesus is alive and he's been rose again, that changes Samson's story. Let me tell you about little David. Little David, he had those five smooth stones. He put it in his sling and he's, he's whirling it around. And because God is a God who could be trusted when he let it go, that stone sunk in Goliath's forehead. And that joker died. He is dead. Why? Because the aftermath of Easter is that God is a God who can be trusted no matter what. And that God will not fail you even when we fail him. God will not fail you even when we fail him. That last story I like the most, though, the story of the prodigal. The prodigal, he does. He leaves home. He smells like pig. When he decides to come back, he never does get to the front porch. 
never does. He doesn't have a chance to be able to try if the locks have changed or if the door's locked. You want to know why? Because for days, weeks, months, years, the father has been there on that front porch looking for the silhouette of a sun against the horizon. Looking. That him? It's just the mailman. That him? I think that's him. The son never made it to the porch because the father ran to his son and took his big old daddy arms and wrapped around him even though he smelled like pig feces. And he, he kissed him. Son, I love you. I'm glad to have you back. Welcome home. That is how the story ends when there is an Easter the aftermath of Easter is that it changes stories. Let me end by this way. Has it changed your story? Is your story, has it been changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you where you're at. Some of you are here and you're like, Chris, I know my story has changed. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. You're for certain. You're for sure. If somebody put a gun to your head, you say, I would know that I am a Christ follower. That's great. I'll tell you, many, many, many people in here couldn't be that certain and wouldn't be that certain. And it's my prayer that today that you would leave here certain that you have a relationship with God, certain that God had changed your story. For others of you, you prayed a prayer, you went down front, you did all of that, you got dunked, you did it all, you've tried religion, you've done all of this stuff, but your story hadn't changed one bit. Let, let, let me ask you a quick question. The aftermath of Easter, the reality of Easter, did it change those four stories I told radically or just a little bit? Radically. And let me tell you, if Jesus comes into your life, if the reality of the resurrection takes place, that because he is risen, I'm forgiven, how, how radical do you think your change will be in your story? It will be massive. And if your story hasn't changed, then you are still lost. You are still guilty in your sins. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask for people to come down front. We don't do that. But one of the things I'm going to ask you today is I'm going to ask you for you just to get real with God right now. Because right now, in this moment, in this, these very few seconds, can radically change your story. If you allow the reality of the resurrection to rest in your soul. So I'm going to ask for the lights to go down, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I don't want anybody looking around. I just want you to do... Just you talk to God right now. Just you and him. And I want you to answer this question. Has Easter changed your story? Has it radically changed the story and the course of your life? And if it hasn't, today, he can change your story. Let me just unpack how that can happen. Nobody looking around. 
The Bible says that our sins have come between us and God. And that without God on our side, without God dying on the cross for our sins, that we are still unforgiven. We are still guilty. But what we can do right now, and what you can do right now, is to come before God and ask your forgiveness. Come before Him and ask Him to just cover up all the mess, all the stink, all the junk in your life. Some of you, you've been holding on to stuff that somebody has done to you for years. And it's time for you to extend your arms and to let it go. For others of you, you've been holding on very close to your chest things that you've done to other people. And it's time for you to extend it. To give it to God. When you do that, when you give your mess to God, He will change it. You will no longer be a mess. You will be a masterpiece of a story. A story like Joseph who will forgive even when somebody has dumped on him. A story like Samson, who finally finds his purpose in life. A story like David, whom you can trust in God no matter how big your circumstance of a child. Or it'll change your story like the prodigal, and you can finally come home to your daddy. I'm going to pray. And if you want to begin this relationship right now, you pray. If you're uncertain, if you have a relationship, you pray. God will hear you. He will change your story. Dear God, Lord, I'm broken. I've broken so many lives. I've made a mess of my life. I've trashed it. I've trashed so many others' lives around me. God, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. God, I'm asking you to come into my life, to come into my heart. And Lord, even more importantly, I'm asking, can I be a part of your life? Can I be a part of your heart? Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to wipe me clean, to make me pure. Thank you for hearing this prayer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Nobody looking around. Every eye still closed. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you know that God has changed your story. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand where you're at. I just want to see it. I want to, I want to pray with you. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Yes, sir. I see you. Yes, on the front. Yes, in the back. I see you. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I see you down here up front. Yes. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I see you in the back. Me too. If you've done that for the first time, your 
your story is getting ready to change radically. Y'all agree with that, church? Let's give it up. God is doing amazing things, and He starts with you. He starts with us, and He wants to do some amazing things. That is the aftermath of Easter. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to be quiet. The band's going to sing. If you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to go by our guest services table. Take one of these cards, fill it out, because we would like to be able to show you what your next step is. This isn't the end. This isn't the end of a journey. This is just the beginning. Let us help you through that. Please go by.